to Vegan Boss Radio, where we will be talking about all things related to business, health, and lifestyle. We connect with passionate vegans from around the world so they can share their stories, challenges, and what it's like to navigate being vegan in a non-vegan world. Hello, hello. Before we get into the episode today, we want to let you know about our Patreon membership options. For $5 a month, you'll receive a monthly recipe package with all of our favorite recipes, as well as nutrition webinar that covers different vegan nutrition topics each month. So these are really great for anyone that wants to know the details about how to be a healthy vegan, or if you want to be able to answer the questions we commonly get asked from our friends and family about how we get enough protein, B12, iron, vitamin A, you name it, people have questions or concerns about it. Um, I'm sure if you've been vegan for any amount of time, you've experienced this. Um, So if you don't really know how to answer those questions, um, these webinars provide you with all of the evidence-based information so you can feel comfortable um, letting people know how to be vegan. If you're looking for more one-on-one support with customized advice, we do have the $30 per month option that includes a private 15-minute nutrition consultation each month. Both memberships also include a discount on our vegan supplement store, so 10% off for the $5 per month members and 25% off for the $30 per month members. And these are ongoing discounts. It's not just on your first purchase. If you have any questions at all, please feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at vegan underscore boss or by email veganbossradio at gmail.com. So now we'll get into the episode. We hope you enjoy it. Thank you. Welcome to Vegan Boss Radio. Um, Megan and I are super excited about this episode today. Our guest is Christopher Soul Eubanks. He is a social justice advocate creative and public speaker raised in Atlanta, Georgia, that has dedicated himself to doing advocacy work that combines all forms of injustice. After learning the horrors of animal exploitation, Christopher became vegan, began doing community organizing, and has helped co-organize Atlanta's first ever animal rights march. Christopher is the founder of Apex Advocacy, a nonprofit animal rights organization that uses digital content and grassroots activism for animal advocacy. So welcome, Chris. Thank you. So glad to be here. So glad that you all invited me to be a part of this. So thank you. Yeah, well, we've been following you on social media for a while and just have been so like curious about like what everything you're doing and your whole story and like you're involved with so many different things like I see on your website there's um, like a YouTube channel and you make music and you have like an apparel um, partnership so and then Apex you just started which we'd love to learn more about so that's super amazing that you could join us today Um, I know in your bio you mentioned after you learned about the horrors of animal exploitation. So how did you first like start learning about that? So ultimately it was because I watched Cowspiracy in what was that? Uh, Mid 2016. I just happened to be scrolling on Netflix and I was trying to be a better environmentalist. So I saw something that was about the environment 
And I was like, okay, I'll watch this movie. And I watched Cowspiracy and I didn't realize how bad consuming animal products was and animal agriculture was for the environment. So just throughout all of the animal products that were in my home became uh, plant-based right then and there. And just, you know, after a few months of just researching and learning more about veganism, I started to come across videos from people like James Aspie and Earthling Ed and Banana Warrior Princess and Joey Carpstrong. And I really started to connect with the ethical aspects of it. It's something that I hadn't really thought about before in my life, but watching them do vegan outreach and really researching what they were talking about, it really hit home for me. And I think one of the things that really resonated with me was the fact that I was contributing to the mass exploitation of other beings. And ideally that's a concept that I had been uh, fighting against my entire life when I'm thinking about how black and brown and indigenous people are treated around the world is something that I have vehemently opposed for so much of my life. But here I was, you know, perpetuating violence and oppression to billions, if not trillions of other individuals. So um, once I made that connection, that's kind of what propelled me into doing activism. But yeah, it was essentially after watching Cowspiracy, then learning uh, that people were doing vegan outreach. I didn't even know that was a thing. When, when I saw all these videos, I was like, wow, this is incredible that, you know, you can just go out and have conversations with people and show them screens of animal abuse and, you know, help them transition into making that ethical uh, lifestyle choice. So yeah, that that was pretty much what propelled me into doing activism. Um, I'm curious, did you go vegan straight away or was it a transition or did you, were you vegetarian first? I'm always so, curious. It's funny, I was vegetarian for a long time earlier in life, um, but it ha didn't have anything to do with veganism. It was, well, it didn't have anything to do with an ethical stance. It was just more of a dietary thing. I read one of my favorite books, um, The Autobiography of Malcolm X, and I found out that like his, during his autopsy, they discovered that his organs were like in pristine shape and it was mainly because of his diet and he had followed a vegetarian diet. So after that, I started uh, to become a, a vegetarian younger in life, around like 13 years of age, I stopped eating and I wanted to adjust slowly. So I stopped eating an animal product once every two years. So I stopped eating pigs at 13, cows at 15, chickens and turkeys at 17. But then I started back eating animal products up until I saw Cowspiracy. And when I saw Cowspiracy, I would say I became plant-based initially. So I didn't consume animal products, but the ethics of not participating in all forms of animal exploitation, I hadn't quite made that connection yet. But I would say about it took me about maybe three to six months for me to fully become vegan where I could say, okay, now my entire lifestyle is suited around not contributing to exploitation of uh, animals in all ways. So yeah, so I would say plant-based after conspiracy, then three to six months later, full vegan. I find it super interesting all the different ways people can like become vegan. And yeah, the, the documentary one is one that we hear a lot. And so, yeah, the cowspiracy obviously focuses on like the environmental aspect, but then it's always interesting to hear how people 
like start with either like going for health reasons or the environmental or straight for animal welfare. Um, and then it kind of expands and you start realizing, oh, there's like so many other reasons to be on this path and go vegan. So yeah, it's always so interesting to hear that. Um, because it was a documentary that inspired you, do you feel that that's one of the main ways that we can reach like non-vegans and inspire them is through documentaries? Yeah, I think so. I think and the reason why there's so many um, avenues to take, like you were mentioning, especially with documentaries. So you have things like The Game Changers, you have films like Dominion, you have, um, you know, other films uh, like, uh, like I think one is the, the Plant Powered film. Just there's so many ways that you can address it see spiracy um even the new film um they're trying to kill us by john lewis i haven't watched that but i've downloaded well, i supported that and i'm going to watch that so so many different angles and especially in today's day and age content is everything video is everything so being able to tell a story whatever that may be in a nice compact way in a documentary style is super efficient and i also think Personally, for me, one of the best ways that I, um, you know, try to connect with people is through uh, vegan outreach, through communication, having conversations. I think that's why it's one of my favorite forms of activism is because I can have these conversations and, and talk one-on-one one -on -one with people. But documentaries are incredible. And it's so even in these conversations, we often refer people to documentaries to kind mm -hmm. of drive home the point. So, yeah, it's definitely a powerful way to help people make that connection. That was actually going to be my next question was like, what's your favorite like form of advocacy to actually do? So it sounds like actually being out on the street, interacting with people one-on-one. -on -one. Oh yeah. That was my first form of activism. And once I did it, I knew I was like, okay, I'm going to do activism forever. Like this is it. Like this is my, what, what feels right with me how I want to interact with people. And I'm a real calm natured, relaxed person. So I never really get into hostile, bitter debates or anything like that. They're always fairly calm and warm for the most part. Even if people disagree with me or I disagree with them, I tend to, <clears throat> excuse me, I tend to be able to just keep a calm demeanor and have a, a, a conversation where things don't get too, hostile and, and uh, volatile. So mm -hmm. yeah, doing vegan outreach, once I did that for the first time, I was like, okay, I'm going to do activism forever. And it also just felt like a personal sense of purpose with me, uh, spending my time doing something that I felt was making, was moving the world in the right direction. Just added uh, another uh, layer of self-purpose that I don't think I had before, especially once I became vegan and I was just overwhelmed with the amount of suffering that is caused to non-human animals. And for the longest, it was just sitting in me and festering in me. And I didn't really know what to do about it. It was like, okay, do I just talk about it on social media, argue with friends and family? Like what's the proper outlet to do it? Mm -hmm. And once I did vegan outreach, I was like, okay, this is what feels comfortable and this is sustainable for me. So yeah, that that's definitely 
my favorite form of activism. Um, would you say it was a solo journey when you started to learn about, like when you watched Cowspiracy and when you started to make that transition? Um, were you on your own or were you with friends and family like doing it at the same time? Well, I was definitely alone. So I was definitely by myself in this transition. Even when I was a vegetarian, part of the reason I went back to consuming animal products is because I didn't know any other vegetarians. I didn't really know any vegans. So it was just me inside of a bubble. So yeah, it was a, a lonely endeavor. And especially when I became vegan, I would say initially the first, I would say six months to a year, I really didn't have too many people that I knew that were vegetarian or, or, or vegan. Um, but once I started doing activism, people came out of the woodworks. It's like vegans started falling out of the sky. I started meeting all types of vegans. I started seeing vegan uh, potlucks and meetup clubs and Facebook groups and events. So once I started doing activism, I met so many people and it really developed into a, a sense of community. I'm curious when you are out on the street interacting with the public, what are sort of the main um, like excuses people give you for like why they don't want to go vegan or what they can't go vegan? Yes, uh, a lot of the main uh, things that people say are things like this, it's not affordable, um, it's unhealthy, um, it just doesn't taste good. And I mean, you start to get a, a lot of responses you know, people say things about religion. Mm -hmm. Another thing people try to do is try to conflate it and turn it into an, uh, an argument about something else. So, oh, you know, you're advocating for this, but why aren't you advocating for other things? Um, yeah, so people definitely have a, sometimes they have a strong defense mechanism, but mm -hmm. after a while, you really start to be able to handle those objections very easily. I think one of the things that I do is, um, is this method of communicating called the Socratic method where you pretty much just, you answer questions almost with questions. So the conversation keeps going and you try to reveal their thinking as opposed to winning an argument. And I think that's one of the things that's helped me. So, you know, sometimes people may say things like, oh, you know, um, I couldn't be vegan because I don't know where I would, uh, get my protein. And instead of telling them where they get their protein, mm -hmm. I would say, well, if you were, where do you think vegans get their protein from? What are some plant-based sources that you think vegans eat that have protein in them? And this kind of forces their brain to think instead of just me kind of handing them the solution, kind of, well, I, I don't know the non-species way of like, you know, that saying uh, you teach someone to fish, mm -hmm. they'll eat forever. If you give them a fish, they'll eat for one day. I don't know the equivalent of that, I don't know the vegan version. Yeah, we need to come up with one. Yeah, but whatever I mean, that like is. You cook someone tofu and they eat it once, but if you like teach them how to <laughs> and grow some soybeans. <laughs> exactly. I like that. We'll go with that. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, so that's pretty much it. You try to uh, have them understand and, and think th through the process or, or think about their answer. And this forces them to really defend their position or really think more about it as opposed to just kind of having a talking point that mm -hmm. they have heard throughout the time and that, you know, they've heard regurgitated from um, people in all of these uh, animal agriculture companies that 
have kind of propelled a lot of these myths. So yeah, I would say that. Um, I love that. I've actually never heard of that like style of communication, um, but it really makes sense because if if you're just giving them the answer, it's so easy for them to like just tune out and like be thinking about other things. Whereas if you're asking them a question, they have to actively engage and kind of think about it. Yep. And that's it's just super the, interesting. the flipping of the words. It's just, yeah. that's all it takes. Yeah. It's so effective and the conversations can go on indefinitely. Sometimes they go on for a while, but yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's, it's, it's a really great way of communicating. That must take so much patience. Is that that's like something I think I need to work on. <laughs> I haven't had, especially since COVID, I haven't had a lot of like one-on-one interaction. Um, but do you ever find that um, you do get heated or like worked up, or are you always pretty good at like staying calm? Yeah, for me, I have always been a calm nature person. So I think I have a unnatural ability to remain calm in a lot of situations. That's just kind of how I have always been as a person. But I do think some of it came from me right before I transitioned into veganism. I quit my job around 2014 and I just kind of went on a discovery of self. And just I, I decided to leave work and I was like, OK, I'm going to save up enough money to live for a couple of years on my own. Not to really have to worry about bills and paying for things. So I saved up some money. And I don't know when a lot of your basic needs are already met, you can kind of evolve into a better version of yourself. And this kind of helped me to realize what's important, how I want to act. Also not let other people's actions trigger me um, and just understand that for me to be the best version of myself, I have to operate a certain way. Excuse me. And yeah, and that that kind of helped out a lot. Wow, that's such a good point um, about just like once you have your basic needs met, it does give, you know, it takes that kind of pressure off. Do you feel like if we did live in a world where not so many people were in fight or flight mode um, and if they did kind of have their basic necessities taken care of or not having to worry about that, do you think more people would go vegan? Like, do you think that plays into it? I I believe so. I think more people will realize that they are unnecessarily contributing to the suffering of others. And I think that's something that we don't get a chance to really evaluate when we're, like you said, in fight or flight, we're just trying to survive and we're trying to make it through the day, make ends meet is something that, yeah, if more people didn't have to worry about Mm -hmm. basic needs, they could think about others. And I I think honestly, that's the, that's why we're here is to be of service to others. Uh, That's just a, personal philosophy I have about why we exist. I think we are here to help each other. And I think that level of compassion extends to not just our fellow human beings, but other species and other members of the animal kingdom too. So yeah, mm-hmm. if we didn't have to worry about existing in a such such a human centric way where everything that we do is revolved around our personal goals, our personal needs, then, yeah, we could definitely evolve it to a a higher version of ourselves. Definitely. Yeah, it's kind of, I had a similar journey to you as in, um, I went vegan around 2015 and it was after I was finally able to take like a breath from working like constantly. 
Um, and I started working with Shauna, my sister instead, um, and doing like fun, creative work. And it totally, yeah, just, it gave me that space to really think about it and take it in. Cause it was something I had always respected and agreed with. Cause Shauna has been vegan for like 20 years or something crazy. So I was always around it and I always agreed with her, but I was in such a like, not that it's like an excuse, but it was something I never really wanted to take the time to, to process. I just like agreed. And I was like, yeah, one day, one day. And yeah, it was as soon as I was able to take like a break from my regular like job and start um, watching the documentary. So I watched Cowspiracy as well. And that was like, mm-hmm. I went vegan overnight after that. It was wow. like, and then, yeah, having Shauna made it like a an easier process. So I can't imagine like you did it solo, but Shauna was like my right hand, like constantly like, what do I eat? Is this, (laughs) what am I doing? Cause so, yeah, I was lucky in that sense, but I do think that there is such a tight connection between, um, you know, like you said, like people just trying to survive and get their basic needs met, it's hard to get them to, um, you know, think that something else, is important when you know the main importance is like getting food on the table Um, that's why like for shauna and i something that we try to combine is advocating for a universal basic income as well and just how that is so closely connected to like imagine if people had that floor to stand on the amount of help that they could give to others as well as like just learning about different causes Absolutely. I agree 1000%. And I know that's something, um, ironically, from what I heard, I think Jimmy Carter tried to do something in the States, similar to that in the 70s. I think he wanted to create like a universal income. Mm. And I think it was approved for a short amount of time, but I don't know. You know, it's sometimes people get, I don't know, inner feelings when you start helping people more. Um, yeah. That's just because you can't, I don't know. Some people are afraid of revolutionary change. And I think those kind of ideas are so scary and so far-fetched in a society where we mm-hmm. hyper-focus on, you know, consumerism and, um, you know, grind culture where we have to work all the time for every single thing. Um, these ideas are scary, are, are very scary to the status quo and to the establishments and the foundations that have, you know, oppress people for the longest. So, but I think we're going to need more revolutionary ideas like that to, you know, help propel society. Yeah, exactly. Definitely. Um, I'm curious um, if you know roughly like the percentage of people who you talk to um, when you're doing advocacy work who say like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm really actually going to consider this. Like I want to go vegan like because of this conversation it's really hard to say and there's organizations that are working on getting more results oriented um information from these conversations like Mm -hmm. um one is vegan hacktivists they're like a it's hard to describe them they're pretty much um computer engineers and designers and they help vegan establishments, vegan organizations, businesses with free technical services. So whether it be like a free website, um, you know, helping 
people with design stuff, anything related to uh, the tech side of things, they help with that. And um, one of the things that they're doing is they're creating this system where when you give an outreach card to someone or when you have a conversation with someone, you can track and see what documentaries they watch from the card that you gave them. You can see their activity. So you can kind of start to develop more information based on that interaction. But right now, it's not a lot of data around that. I would, and it's hard to say, even me, I've had hundreds of conversations. I never know what happens. I don't know if the people go vegan, think about it. There have been a couple, like I know for two, for instance, there were two people that went vegan from the conversations that I've had um, just because I followed up with them and made a real connection with them. But other than that, it's really hard to say. I think one of the things that I really focus on is just planting the seed. I always look at the work that I do in any facet, whether it's outreach conversations, whether it's with my nonprofit, whether it's with music, whether it's with photography, I always put more emphasis on the actual effort I put into the work because the results are just random. They, I can't mm-hmm. manually make people go vegan. I can't make people like a song or like a photograph. All I can do is put as much work and effort into the practice. And that's kind of what I personally focus on. That kind of helps me not really think about the results as much Mm -hmm. because I can't control that. So um, that works for me. But yeah, I do know that there's a push to get more information and we need that. We need to know, Mm -hmm. hey, maybe if more people are watching Game Changers as opposed to Dominion, well, maybe sometimes we'll start to refer Game Changers more or maybe we'll refer them to something else. But yeah, it's really hard to say as of right now, but yeah, mm-hmm. um, I know of a couple people for sure, and hopefully more. Hopefully, there have been people that you know sp- spoke to me and saw some stuff mm-hmm. I posted online, and it helped them to transition. Yeah, for sure, and I would imagine um, like people you do interact with that are like super open to it and ready. They already had a seed planted previously. Exactly. I would think. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we did want to congratulate you on starting Apex Advocacy. Um, would you like yeah. to kind of go into details about what that is and how it started? Yeah, absolutely. Ultimately, Apex started because I've been doing animal activism for years. And I think a lot of times when the issue of race and equity is brought up in the animal rights community. Sometimes it's met with a lot of resistance. And oftentimes when I go to uh, activism events, I'm typically the only black male there. Um, Also the, a lot of times I'm typically the only person of color. Um, So it just came from this feeling of, okay, I would like to create a space where advocates of color don't feel so isolated, don't feel so ignored feel welcomed and embraced in the animal rights community. And this can still be a space where the animals take priority because this movement is about the animals. They, you know, their voices and their screams are going unheard. So we're advocating for their rights. But I do think that we, excuse me, I do think that we can talk about the things that impact 
our movement in terms of race and power structure and still do that. So Apex mm-hmm. Advocacy, it stands for Animal Protection, Equality, Intersectionality. And I want to talk about a lot of the overlapping themes that not only oppress animals, uh, non-human animals, but also how those forms of oppression impact the people that are fighting for animal rights. So, um, yeah, one of the things that I would really like to do is focus on getting more advocates of color involved in the animal rights movement. That's the the core thing that we focus on at Apex. So whether that's through talking about uh, or creating content that's uh, that talks about these issues, coming up with campaigns like our Black Vegan Everything campaign, where we focus and highlight on Black vegan businesses from all walks of veganism, from clothing to animal welfare, to food, to just a variety of things. Um, I want to create an outlet for these things to exist. So that's ultimately why I created Apex. That sounds amazing. Yeah, and definitely needed because I do hear it um, come up a lot if someone's talking about like intersectionality and veganism and being like, oh, you're taking away from like the animals or like this is just about the animals, but it's there's like everything is connected. Yeah, like <laughs> so, and just because you fight for one thing doesn't mean you can't fight for like other things. So yeah. I think, yeah, it's really important um, work that you're doing for sure. Um, is that kind of intertwined with um, the street work, like working out in the public? Yeah, so um, we haven't started our activism yet. I wanted to start with a lot of the content that I had in mind. I am just a creative person by nature. So that's something that I can do very easily. So I think my initial plan was to get Apex known on social media to create some engaging content. And in 2022, really focus on the type of actions that we're going to do, the pressure campaigns, vegan outreach is definitely something that we're going to look into. And I also want to make sure that that it has Apex's stamp and style and feel to it. So it may be slightly different from the way that we've been accustomed to doing vegan outreach or seeing pressure campaigns. I think I, I want a lot of advocates of color to be involved in the decision-making process about Mm -hmm. the type of actions that we do, um, the type of outreach that we do, how we talk and outreach, because a lot of these structures have been created, haven't been created by people of color. A lot of them have been created by a lot of the organizations, a lot of the volunteers that are predominantly white in this space. So I would like to know what new ideas look like, what perspective would a person of color have about doing vegan outreach or how would they run an organization or what campaigns would they prioritize and mm-hmm. start to build these things and bring them into light. But definitely the vegan outreach is going to be uh, a key part of what we do with Apex and our grassroots activism. Okay. Is there um, a YouTube channel for that or like a separate Instagram that you have where people can find the upcoming content? Yeah, so apexadvocacy.org, that's the website. And on social media is Apex, it's either Apex underscore advocacy or Apex advocacy. 
on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, the main social media platforms. So, and we have a lot of that. Sometimes I share some of the content from Apex on my personal social media too, just to kind of help people see the type of content that we're creating. But yeah, you can find all of our stuff on apexadvocacy.org and all the links to our social media pages. Cool. We'll put those um, all in the show notes as well, of course. Awesome. Thank you. So people can find you easily. Um, I noticed in your bio, there was mention of like the first ever animal rights march in Atlanta. So when was that? And are you planning more? So that was 2019, November 10th, 2019. I'll never forget that day because it took so much work to get to that day. It was it was amazing, it was beautiful, but it was a lot of stress. It was a lot of work that I don't think I was anticipating. It took a 22 page application with the city. We had to hire uh, secure with police to escort us um, during the march. Uh, we had to go through an extenuating application process. We had to notify the local businesses in the area that we were doing a march. I mean, it was so much red tape um, mm-hmm. associated with that. And that's one of the things that I learned is that, you know, sometimes you can do things the proper way. And that's the way I wanted to do it for the first March, me and my co-organizer, just to be on the safe side. I was just paranoid paranoid about it not going correct since it was our first March. So we had a permit for our meeting location. We had a permit for the March. But a lot of times people just take to the street and march and they don't worry about permits and all of those kind of things. They just go to the streets and just do their thing. And uh, I didn't we didn't do that for 2019. We just wanted everything to be covered and not have to worry about any of those issues that could come up if we weren't doing it in the through the proper channels. But it was a lot of work. And obviously we didn't do one in 2020. We thought about doing one this year, but we just didn't have time to. But next year, we definitely will be doing another one. We, uh, I've been toying around with combining the march with another idea that I had. And when I told my co-organizer about, uh, about it, he just looked at me like I was like something was wrong with me. Um, <laughs> I, won't, I won't talk about what it is yet, but it's a yeah. very, it'll take a lot of work <laughs> and a lot of energy to do this march in this specific way. But we'll see if it happens. But we definitely will be doing another march. Cool. That's exciting. Yeah. We'll definitely keep an eye then on your social media for any announcements and stuff like that. Um, I checked out your website and uh, I noticed that you have a section for your music. Is this um, like, when did you start making music and what would you say like your style is? Oh yeah. So I started, I've been a hip hop head since that was my first love. Hip hop is my first love. So I've been writing, rapping, uh, just a wordsmith and like a spoken word artist for the longest. Um, but hip hop, I would say a lot of my favorite artists are people like Nas and Common, um, Most Def, J. Cole, Kendrick Lamar. Mm-hmm. These are like some of my favorite rappers. And um, yeah, I've been doing this since I was a, a child and I still, every day, it's one, one thing that people may not know about me is that I wake up with melodies in my head literally every morning. Wow. I wake up with choruses and just different things in my head um, musically literally every morning. It never fails. 
Um, so I have tons of ideas. I, I've mapped out my next album in my head. It's going to come out at some point. Um, I don't know when, but it's definitely going to be something that I put a lot of energy in. I have to think about when and how it will be best executed because it's a very ambitious project, but um, it's going to take a lot of time, but I want to do it in a particular way. But yeah, hip hop has always been my first love. I listen to it all the time. I follow a lot of artists and yeah, I'm still writing, uh, not on a daily basis as much, but I still have songs that I've written that have just haven't seen the light of day. I just haven't recorded them, recorded them, but they're in my phone and um, maybe at some point they'll be released, but we'll see. Well, that's exciting. Do you find that you um, bring in any of your activism or like views um, into your lyrics or do you try to keep that separate? You know, it's funny. So a lot of my music is more about my personal um, well-being and development. So it's very personal. I don't oftentimes talk about external factors um, unless they are kind of related to what I'm experiencing. Like, obviously, I talk about my upbringing and how things like systemic racism and um, systems of oppression have have impacted me and people in my community. Um, so it's very personal and it's almost like a form of therapy or release. Um, but yeah, this next project is definitely going to involve some of that. It's definitely going to bring merge both of those worlds together a, a little bit closer. So yeah, it's, like I said, it's pretty ambitious. Yeah. It's, 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 it's sounding very interesting in my yeah. head. And you sound like an ambitious guy. So I'm sure, you know, you'll be able to take it on. And hopefully so. Yeah, that's one thing I, I guess I have kind of realized over the past couple of years. I tend to take on projects and just think I can do them. So, yeah. You know, <laughs> and then just try my best. Yeah, it's better than thinking that you can't do them. It's absolutely. Yeah. Um, you mentioned photography, too. Is that something that like a passion of yours? Yeah. So I had in what was this? 2018. I did an animal sanctuary uh, tour where I went to various sanctuaries and I photographed the animals at the sanctuary and I donated the photos to each sanctuary. So I've been doing photography for maybe the last five or six years. Um, I've also done one other thing people may not also know is that um, I've been a freelance wedding filmmaker for the last six or seven years. And that's pretty much been my, a lot of my source of income and not until recently, this past year, 2021, is when I've been able to, you know, have a, uh, a quote-unquote job in animal rights. So I, I work, I have a fellowship with the Animal Save Movement. And so I've been able to live off of uh, that and just um, just doing freelance work here and there. But um, yeah, photography is something that I I love doing as a, as, as more as a hobby these days, mm-hmm. I realized that I don't want to do it as a job. I just can't do it as a job anymore. I would love to volunteer my photography services, um, but I just don't want to deal with it as a uh, way to make income. So yeah, I have a another project that I'm thinking about that revolves around video, um, videography. And it's something that I just started on a few weeks ago. 
and it's looking incredible. I'm, I'm really excited about what this could be and how I could put it out. So it, it involves more video, but some photography may be involved. But yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay. That's have exciting you, too. <laughs> have you always been like this creative and able to take on so many things? Or is some of that like, did you get extra energy when you went vegan? Or have you always been like very ambitious and um, passionate? Uh, I will say I've definitely always been creative, even as a child. Like I think one of the first things that I did when I realized I was creative was I used to draw a lot and that came naturally to me. So I just started expressing myself through various forms of creativity. And I just realized, oh, wow, I'm just a creative person. I can just do these things. And I think one of the things that kind of made me more ambitious with my creativity and just things that I do is realizing that I was creative in a variety of ways. So knowing how to draw, then learning, um, I can do spoken word and and um, be a lyricist and then learn photography and video. Mm-hmm. I just realized that, okay, I have all of these different ways and these different vessels to express myself and I wanna work on all of them. I don't wanna limit myself. And mm-hmm. I think that kind of spilled into other things uh, ambitious wise in my life, like starting an organization, doing animal rights marches. I think it kind of just spilled over. So, That's um, so cool. yeah. And, and then when the, both of those worlds can combine, then I just think I can do any and everything <laughs> and yeah. with them. That's awesome. Um, I watched one of the videos on your website about like, I think it's titled like, would you work in a slaughterhouse? Mm, okay. And something you said um, was that maybe like slaughterhouse workers become desensitized to the animal death because they're just like around it constantly and can end up seeing the animals just as objects, which is why they can be like treated like so badly. And it just really made me think of like what's going on um, recently and at a dairy farm here, um, well in Canada in BC in Abbotsford, it's an organic dairy farm. Mm. So, you know, those people that say, I only eat organic or local or free range, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, so this undercover footage just came out from an organic dairy farm. And the there's numerous employees that are like beating the animals, like with sticks. And one scene, there's like a brand new, like the cow has just given birth. And the employee is like ripping the calf away dragging it and like kicking and punching the mother cow in the head and it's like yeah it's not just like slaughterhouse workers like even people on farms and I'm just wondering like how can we portray that to like the consumers who just get to like walk into a grocery store and don't have to like see how like their animal products actually got there yeah, I think um, one of the biggest things that I think we are going to have to transition to in terms of a movement is not only making social change, but making policy change and political change. Because I think mm-hmm. when you're able to go into a, a grocery store and see, you know, beef as a product 
and not realize that this is ultimately different body parts from different cows chopped up and grinded into a package. Um, you know, combating that, it's going to take a lot more than just us having conversations with people. It's going to take some real policy uh, change and policy initiatives. So I think what that could look like is, you know, putting warnings on animal products or putting some kind of warning that this is a violent process or, you know, even a surgeon general's warning or something on a, that, that connects with us right when we see it, when we see these products or changing how they're advertised, limiting the way that these companies can advertise. Maybe they won't be able to use animals that they kill in their advertisements. You're going to have to, you know, change a lot of the policy around how easy it is for these industries to mass produce uh, billions and trillions of animals, kill them and then sell them to consumers and not have them even think about that connection. We're going to have to fight a lot of the subsidies that, you know, even in schools, you know, animal products and dairy products are heavily in school systems. Mm -hmm. Going to have to fight things like that. Kids grow up with a sense of normalization around consuming the secretion of cows. Um, so we're going to have to, it's so many things that can be done, but I do think policy is probably going to be where we can really change how the common person sees um, these, you know, quote unquote products and help make that connection. Because I do feel that's something that gets overlooked in our advocacy work. Unfortunately, these industries that exploit and kill animals, they get so much subsidy, they get so many subsidies that, you know, the the supply and demand doesn't really impact their pockets like we think they do. Mm -hmm. So it's great that, you know, we have these conversations. It's great that we have new vegan alternatives on a regular basis, but ultimately we're going to have to take the money away from these industries and take that blanket, that cushioning that they have to, you know, make all of these profits and advertise extensively and, mm-hmm. you know, lobby and control the narrative. So, uh, yeah, uh, the subsidies are going to be a huge thing. That would be huge also just to, like, put plant foods on more of a level playing field in terms of, like, price, too, because, like, part of the reason animal products are so cheap is because, like, the corn and soy that they're fed, the farmers are given like crazy subsidies. So that lowers the price, but it'd be interesting to see um, the industry kind of like go the same way as maybe like tobacco, like, you know, start adding an environmental tax and maybe put like Mm -hmm. some graphic images. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know if that will ever happen, but we'll see. <laughs> it'll, it'll be a while. I think it's inevitable. I think it is going to go the way of tobacco. Um, mm-hmm. But like, yeah, but I don't think it's, it may or may not be in our lifetime though. That's the thing. It's going to take maybe another generation or two mm-hmm. for these things mm-hmm. to happen. Yeah. Um, when you're talking to people, do you ever ask them like if they could kill the animal themselves if they wanted to eat it? Yeah, yeah. Um, And most people couldn't. Most people can barely watch it. You know, a lot of people have a hard time just even seeing the abuses happening to animals. So when we talk about that, 
you know, they, they admit themselves that they couldn't do that. Um, yeah, I think most people that we speak to, that I speak to, are compassionate people. And, and I think that's the thing. Um, you know, most of us weren't born vegan. So when we have these conversations, a lot of times we, we feel like it's us against them. <clears throat> Excuse me, we feel like it's us against them, but we don't realize that we're pretty much talking to talking to ourselves just in a different phase of our process. So yeah, most people couldn't do it and they've been indoctrinated to support it because it's so normalized, but you know, hopefully by helping them see that it plants a seed and helps them transition into a, uh, a vegan lifestyle. So I like you have one um, like shirt, like apparel activism apparel available on your website. Um, are you, expanding that are you coming up with more designs did you come up with that design yeah so the one that i have now um with my friend sophia jasmine Mm -hmm. so it's her clothing brand i tweeted the message on the shirt and she said hey this will be an awesome t-shirt and i was like okay well let's just you can press it up if you want and she's like cool i'll do that so um that's the way that collaboration came about but um i do have some ideas about Uh, apparel for apex and i have some really interesting concepts for uh our merchandise and i'm I'm working on that because i one of the things things that i don't want to do is contribute to fast fashion Mm -hmm. i want all of our clothing to be recycled or uh, uh, upcycled so yeah i want to do that very strategically um because i don't want to just contribute to overconsumption but our, I think I have an opportunity to work on a apparel, um, uh, a way of creating some apparel, apparel that's meaningful, eco-friendly, sustainable, and one that promotes veganism, and especially done in a very creative and interesting way. So yeah, with, with Apex, I will be working on some apparel. That's exciting. Very yeah, very exciting. I'm all about vegan apparel. I love being able to just be like a walking billboard for yeah. veganism and advertising mm-hmm. that way is always fun. Um, I actually, I remember what my question was. Um, it's somewhat off topic, but I'm just curious since um, since COVID and you since you were doing like the one-on-one um, outreach, I'm curious if you've noticed a difference on how people receive this information um, before COVID versus during COVID. If they're more open, if they're more concerned with health and the environment, or if it's been the same. Um, That's a great question. I will say, I don't know if the response has changed, but I do know the talking points have been able to be a little bit more elaborate because we've been able to talk about how, you know, from all the science and the data that we have, COVID-19 is a zoonotic disease, which means it came from animals and then it uh, jumped to humans. And that's because of how Mm -hmm. we exploit animals and how we mass produce them. And we are able to talk about this with, in connection to all of the other zoonotic diseases like the mad cow disease, um, I think, uh, swine flu, you know, all of these other diseases that came from us essentially treating non-human animals as products, mass breeding them, mass killing them, and selling their body parts. So we're able to have conversations in that manner, more in depth. 
And that has helped people to, I guess, connect some dots that we may not have focused on as much before COVID. And I think that's been an interesting thing. That's um, that's probably been the biggest difference. Um, not necessarily that the people receive the information differently, but we're able to talk about that more in relation to uh, animal agriculture. Okay, interesting. I'm surprised there's not more people who I guess are um, like because how COVID affects you. Well, there's actually not a lot of talk or studies about this versus um, like how COVID affects vegans versus non-vegans or like different dietary changes that could help improve your chances if you do get COVID. Um, so yeah, I guess I was curious too about if um, people just in general are more uh, health conscious too yeah. and about what they're putting into their body. It's funny you mentioned that because there's a study that I just found that found about that is uh, trying to discover uh, discover that what you're just talking about. Okay. Um, and um, the results should be, I'm anticipating it'll be available fairly soon to the public. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the this study is being taken is taking place now. Um, but I am extremely interested to find the connections between the things that we eat, COVID, how bodies respond to it, and yeah, once. I feel that once we have that data, we may be able to even have more conversations around that in the future doing vegan outreach. So I'm really looking forward to that. It's funny that you mentioned that. I just found out about this uh, study like within the past two weeks. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I want to see that too because yeah, yeah. and I have both like been really interested in that side of things as well, but there's very little data so far. Yeah, I'll send you the link to um cool. to awesome. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I feel like um maybe not so much now since we're like almost two years into it, but at the beginning, like people went like from what to one extreme or the other. Like people were like drinking more, like not exercising, <laughs> or they went like, okay, time to take care of my health. I'm gonna like start eating better and taking vitamin D. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. I dabble them both. I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah, a little bit of balance there. Yeah, <laughs> some coping. Yeah. 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 Were there any last thoughts or like tips that you wanted to um, give our listeners? Um, I would say I, I think the biggest thing. I'll, I'll say two things. Um, okay. One is uh, I think. Well, I'll talk about that in a second. So one thing I'll say is if anyone is interested in doing activism, animal activism, you can definitely contact me personally on my social medias um, but or my website. But there's also a uh, organization that I work with called Animal Activism Mentorship. And this is a free three-month mentor that you will receive that will help you start to do activism uh, learn how to organize events, um, meet other activists. You have a personal one-on-one mentor. And if you've ever thought about doing animal activism, just go to animalactivismmentorship.com, sign up, and you will get a free activism mentor for three months. You don't have to necessarily be vegan to sign up for the program. You can, you know, just if you're interested in becoming a, a uh, animal rights advocate, 
then you can go to animalactivismmentorship.com um, for that. And I will also say the second thing to anyone that's listening that may not be vegan, essentially veganism is just extending the love and compassion that we have for humanity into other beings. It's not a, you know, uh, we're not telling anyone what to eat or what not to eat. We're just simply saying we should have the same amount of love and compassion uh, or at least common decency for non-human animals to where their bodies shouldn't be viewed as objects and things for us to consume. So it's ultimately about just spreading that love and compassion and decency to other beings. And I think once we look at it from the perspective of uh, respect and dignity, we don't get caught up in things like taste and uh, price as much because we can work around those things. We can, you know, go on Facebook groups and find out cheap vegan foods or we can learn how to make food every once in a while or we can address those challenges if we have a different mindset towards it when we look at it as a social justice issue and not a dietary issue. So I would just ask everyone to extend their level of compassion to all other beings. Wow, that was so well said. And I can see why you are so effective at your one-on-one interactions with people and your style of advocacy. I really appreciate you sharing that. That was like, that even got me like, I want to go (laughs) all over again if I could. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you you so much. (laughs) Yeah. You know, that's funny. Then, Sometimes when I see my friends post like vegan food, I'm like, oh, I can't cook. So they have all these amazing dishes. And I was like, it makes me think, wow, I'm like, I'm not as good at being vegan as they are. Like, <laughs> to make these amazing smoothie bowls and yeah. this amazing meal. And I'm just like eating the basics. <laughs> I am too. <laughs> uh. That's great. Well, we need all types of vegans to like reach all types of people. Absolutely. So it could be like the beautiful food pictures or it could be like the one-on-one conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. We need it all. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, we wanted to thank you so much for sharing uh, your story with us and telling us more about everything you're doing, which is like a million things that's amazing um and yeah you have some exciting stuff coming up so we'll definitely like keep an eye on that and we'll put um all of your contact info in the show notes so people know um, how to get a hold of you and that vegan um, activism uh, mentorship program sounds really cool I wish I had that when I first went vegan me too Um, (laughs) yeah (laughs) um Yeah, so yeah, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. It was great. (laughs) 